If one wants to be happy and peaceful in his position, either as a householder or citizen or member of human society, one must promote devotional service for the pleasure of the Lord. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, our spiritual, spiritual master, Shiva Prabhupada, has opened my eyes with the Torah's five knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisance unto him and all members of Sri Parampara. Pushaka Shamayam Barhir Astriya Bhagavan Mahu Ayajajya Purushan Labhastham Yato Bhuvam. Manu spread a sea of kushas and kashas and worshipped the Lord, the personality of Godhead. By his grace he had obtained the rule of the terrestrial globe. When I first read this, I <clears throat> thought of a statement by Lord Brahma and Brahma Sangita. Does anybody know the, uh, the similar statements in a, especially one of the shlokas there? <clears throat> The one that starts with yet Baba Bhavita the old Manajasta Taiva. Baba means devotion. Bhavitas endowed, I think it means endowed. So for those who are endowed with devotion, but Baba Bhavita Dio Manaj Dio means in the heart. Manajas means such a man or something like that. It's almost like this word we have. They're talking about here Manusha. Anyway, it's a, it's a race of intelligence. I don't mean to throw you off the boat. I was just trying to understand where we are in the story. Because when I came last time, uh, I remember when he was getting married. Has he already taken some yaks at this point? Yeah. Well, he said he's going to. Oh, he's going to. Okay, so that's he assumes that's, that's part of the deal. I don't know if he's actually... He's generated a child yet or not, but I can't remember. Okay, all right. I, just I was going to go back a little bit, actually, because yeah. this, this whole thing is so fascinating and such a good example of certain things, you know, about Vedic culture and whatnot. But, uh, so that statement by Lord Brahma also confirms, that's what I'm getting at, that people who are in a higher situation, they get their, their various... It says, Samprapya Rupa Mahimasana Yana Bhusha. You know that verse? Samprapya. <coughs> Prapya means to get. And some means like, they completely get. Samprapya Rupa, their bodies, their, these heavenly uh, demigods, when they get their beautiful bodies, Rupa. Samprapya Rupa Mahima means their. What is Mahima? Huh? I was thinking it might be their thrones or was that book? No. I could actually find it, but uh Mahima. Asana means their chariots. Some Rupa Mahimasana Yana Busha. Yana Busha means I think their fame. Probably if Deera was here, he would tell us, whoop, there he is right here. Mahima means their greatness. Is that what you said? Yeah, okay. Talk about Mahima City. Bigger than the biggest. Oh, okay. Very good. 
always good to tie these words in different places. Helps us remember too. Rupa beauty. Rupa we know is a form, but here it says beauty, mani mani. So whatever the people get of this people, but especially these people it's talking about who are imbued with devotion in the heart for the Supreme Person, Govinda. Their beauty, their greatness, asana, their thrones. Yana means conveyances. Okay, so these airplanes that they can travel in. Then busha and ornaments. What do they do? Shukta yameva nigama pratitai stuvanti. Shukta. She means these uh, Vedic hymns. They praise Supreme Personality. These, these type of people. Because they recognize where they're getting these things. And Lord Brahma is saying where they where they get them. So it's really an amazing, amazing example of it. You know, I was just thinking how, if you read back, I was trying to remember. So I look back, you know, how did Manu enter the scene at the, the, the ashram of this sage sitting by the river? <clears throat> Who had been told that he was going to be brought his daughter? Anybody remember how what the description of Manu was at that time? There's a couple of verses here. It says, uh, Cardinal Money says, Oh, well, you must be here to, on one of your tours through the. He kind of knows. He's been told by Lord Vishnu what they're going to bring his daughter. But he says, Oh, you must be on tour to, you know, uh, keep down the miscreants in the universe. Because if you weren't doing this in your. Here it says, Victorious Jeweled Chariot whose mere presence threatens culprits. If you did not produce fire, fierce sounds by the twanging of your bow, if you did not roam about the world like a brilliant sun, leading a huge army, whose trampling feet cause the globe of the earth to tremble. So what kind of, kind of monarch is he? he comes. And still, it's, it's such a sweet story that he, he's upset by, by the loss of his daughter. You know, he has this, he's almost in tears because he's given up this sweet daughter, beautiful daughter, you know. He's such a great personality, but it doesn't seem like he's so puffed up, you know. <laughs> then uh, he says, if you gave up all thought of the world's situation, unrighteousness would flourish. Men would hanker only after money and be unopposed. Such miscreants would attack and the world would perish. Makes makes you wonder, you know. These purified rajarshis, they're called purified kings. They, like we've said many times, they are able to think about what's good for all people, and not only all people, but all the all living beings, the animals, the plants, the the earth as a whole. You know, whatever their um, uh, realm of a jurisdiction is they you know they're responsible in that way not that they're looking after one particular group of people you become a public servant you take the seat but you're you feel like you're only you know responsible to please a certain section of it. not everybody only certain people <laughs> it's just kind of like it is today and then this hum king is so humble, he gives his daughter, and before he leaves the sage, what does he do? Does anybody remember that little detail? 
He takes permission from the sage. I mean, you know, dear sir, it's okay with you. I'll be leaving now. <laughs> he goes back to his king. He's the emperor of the, of the world. And, uh, and then when he goes back, it's described in here that this chapter that we're in now, that he's, you know, the subjects, when they saw him coming back to his capital city, they were jubilant. And uh, what else to say there? They were overjoyed to know his arrival. They greeted him with songs, prayers, and musical instruments. But what does he do? You know, he doesn't, because he's, you know, a person to, who's aware of such deep knowledge, he sits down to meditate on the Supreme Lord and worship him on Kushagrass properly. You know, he doesn't. In other words, the, the adoration and the situation don't cause his mind to just spin off into unlimited things of, you know, how great I am and just see how I'm being worshipped. And now what am I going to do to please myself and a few others with, with this opulence? But he goes back to the source. So it means that he's uh, not ignorant. I was thinking of the Chatur Shloka verses and haven't seen them in a long time, so I just kind of took the opportunity to look those up. Um, anybody have those in mind enough to sort of say how they start out? I know, dear Will. Yeah. Well, I got it right here in my book, too. But I thought you might want to <laughs> just. Somebody might say with the verse, the first of those verses sort of says, you know, if we know these, it's like, these are like root, root uh, truths to, you know, who we are and what we're doing here and what we, how we can think about things. This is uh, Canto 2, Chapter 9. Text 33 through 6, I think. Yeah, so. <clears throat> um, Lord, Krishna speak, Lord Krishna speaking to Lord Rama, he says, It is I, the personality of Godhead, who was existing before the creation, when there was nothing but myself. Nor was there the material nature the cause of this creation. That which you see now is also I, the personality of Godhead. And after annihilation, what remains will also be I, the personality of Godhead. So we could always have these things in these little details, huge details in mind. That before there was anything, that the Lord was there. And after things are annihilated, so this, this manu, we can... Assume he, he understands these things. And the second verse is really one that I always really just think it's a beautiful verse, I guess. Over my whatever appears to be of any value, if it is not, if it is without relation to me, has no reality. Know it is my illusory energy, that reflection which appears 
to be in darkness. So, you know, if we understand that, then we won't be so deluded by what we see. And Manu is also not apparently deluded by what he, what's around him. As he goes back to his capital city, people are overjoyed to see him. He still knows what it, what his, you know, what his duty is. Basically, his duty is to, just like Srila Prabhupada taught us, to take the, the worship and give it to the one who's superior to him. <coughs> you know, always to do that, feel that way. Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj made a nice statement one time that I just paraphrase. He said, um, you know, if I take the worship of my disciples, you know, such as at a Vyasa Puja, I think he said this at a Vyasa Puja for himself, if I do not take that worship and run to the lotus feet of my own spiritual master, then I've fallen down. So, Not just carry it there, but to, <laughs> you know, just resume there as fast as possible. Pops up a lot, you know. Right? And, I, and I look at those pictures of him, and I'm sorry to say it. I think oh, I've already heard everything he says. You know, I don't need to hear that thing. But then I, I just decided to, I listened to it a little bit. I don't know how I got inspired to it, but he's like you said, he's just his demeanor and attitude and the way he talks about things is super endearing, and, you know, super sweet. But, you know, I always remember him being in San Diego also. And uh, some Indian people came that I'd never seen before, and they just sat in our temple room. And these female devotees were—they were in tears, talking about what Jack Takamaj had done for them. And I was thinking, wow, oh, how does that happen? You know, but he's really—you know—such a powerful example of certain things, and it inspires people. You know, so many—he gives uh, you know, initiations to thousands of people now. And Kamudvan was just telling me, yeah, he just gave a, an initiation of some, or something like 5,000 people or something. I don't know. 
We don't grind our own spices sometimes. We, we say we do, but we don't. You know, we, we get them and we just shake them on the on whatever we're making. We don't. We do grind some. Do we grind some? Yeah. Okay. But I mean, to have all these nice food back then, if you were living in a village, you had to women early in the morning, I guess, you know, making sure they had all these ingredients. They didn't just appear from Gorbachev's truck. <laughs> <laughs> but um, why was I talking about that? Um, Let's talk about how it wouldn't be so easy if we weren't in this modern modern age. I mean, we can say all these modern things are unnecessary. They're what do you call it? Kind of artificial. Probably talked about an artificial standard of living. But if we didn't have them, we would, you know, it'd be hard to adjust. A lot of people have tried going back to a farm community, you know, barn ashram farm, and couldn't maintain it. You know, they just weren't prepared to work that hard in a lot of ways. But you know, people did. How could they? How they do that? They, they did it. They just part of it's our mentality, what we, we what we've gotten used to, accustomed to our habits. So. Um, I thought of some verses in the Bhagavad Gita which also substantiate some of the statements that are made here. If anybody has any that they think of from the Bhagavad Gita, you could quote. Um, I can't quote verbatim, but there's like a verse when he's describing Jnana Yoga where he describes the use of Kusha fruits. Oh. Uh, don't sit too high, don't sit too low, don't uh, sleep too much, or too little, sit on a, a, a lion skin, deer skin, and a cushion grass. Yeah. Why do they sit on deer skin, you know? To keep the bones off. Yeah, well, the prophets said snakes specifically yeah. go away from. Did you want to say deer? It's easier to come by than lion skin. Oh. Yeah, tiger skin or lion skin, that might be the best, but at least with deer skin, you, the snakes don't come, apparently. I always wondered, how did they get the deer skin? Like, did they have to kill the deer, or...? Or they just go to the Ross and get one? Or wait till it dies. Ross dressed for this. <laughs> or just wait till the deer dies naturally. Yeah, maybe they found find old animals but they have to and they have to make it that's has anybody ever tried to do that that's really difficult work i tried doing that once scraping the skin and, and then soaking it in these salts to get the moisture out of it and anyway um, but uh, this whole scene of how also this is a beautiful verse in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Apuryamana machala pratishtam samudram apa pravishanti yadva 
Jeg ved ikke, Karma, jeg ved ikke, hvad det er, så sådan en time af noget, din er Karma, Karma, anybody knows the translation of that is. One who is not disturbed by the incessant flow of desires which enter like rivers into an ocean, which is always being filled, but which ever remains calm or peaceful. He alone attains peace, not the one who strives to satisfy such desires. So you can just imagine that this manu in this position of being, you know, high authority in the, in the world or the universe. Um, you know, he he understands these principles. That, uh, you know, he can actually be peaceful if he controls his mind and senses. That's what that verse is saying. And the only way to really control the mind is to be situated in devotional service. Otherwise, it's really just not possible. So, that's one verse I thought of. Um, whole series of verses in the, at the end of the Bhagavad Gita, like, uh, you know, oh. you know, I always think of that verse, in all activities just depend upon me and work always under my protection, such devotional service be fully conscious of me. If you become conscious of me, you will pass over all, all the obstacles of conditioned life by my grace. So how intelligent is it for the king to, to use this system for, you know, uh, addressing his, you know, situation as a ruler? Whereas in our, our situation today, you know, you know, these leaders of our society trying to get together and you know, fight it out and argue, oh, we should do this, we should do that, you know. You see how really ridiculous the whole thing is? And nobody's talking about God. Um, another, another verse I really like to. The Supreme Lord is situated in everyone's heart. He's directing the wanderings of all living entities who are seated as on a machine made of material energy. O Sayana Bharat, surrender to him utterly. By his grace you will attain transcendental peace and the supreme eternal abode. Thus I have explained to you all, you knowledge still more confidential. Deliberate on this fully and then do what you wish to do. Lord Krishna tells Arjuna. So, this is really such superior knowledge that we're being given here. 
And I really, you know, I, I had no idea about all this when I came here some years ago. We get some, some idea of things in the Bible. There's a statement from the Bible that kind of says something similar to what Shiva Prabhupada was talking about in the purport. It's like, to he who's, who much is given, much is expected, or something like that. Where does that come from in the Bible? Doesn't King Solomon tells his son or something? That, you remember that? I remember the saying that. To him, much as there's these parables about the sons with talents, and there's the different sons, and they, they take their inheritances from their father, who's a king, and they go off and spend it in different ways. One of them spends it just like a spendthrift, you know, and it's gone pretty soon. And then another one goes and he buries it somewhere or something, and just keeps it. And another one uses it to. to you know, invested in, you know, um, you know, some business or something to utilize what he's given and increase the, the uh, value of it. You know, he increases the value of it. So that parable in the Bible tells that, you know, business is given to you and you're meant to use it to, for, for its its value, which is not to stick it in the ground somewhere or keep it to yourself or spend it away worthlessly, uselessly. So I don't remember where exactly that is in the Bible, but it's, you remember? He did, okay. Sounds right, could be. Is the offering done or should we stop? Not really. <laughs> I'm not trying to rush out of this disaster. I don't know if anybody's ready. 845. Anybody's have any comments? Madame Prabhu, I know you're thinking. Can, this is the beginning of the third. Uh, can, can you get, like, give an overview of, the, of what's happened in the chapter, the previous chapter? Um, you know, I guess what's supposed to happen is that. that Kapiladev is supposed to be born. You know, he's God. So it sets it up how it, how it all happens with Cardamom Moon, who's been like a Brahmachari in the forest for, he meditated for 10,000 years, it said. Finally got some inspiration that, ah, let me get married. So then he, he, he meditates how this is going to happen, I guess, and he. Lord Vishnu comes to him in person and tells him, you know, he's pleased with this austerity. And uh, <clears throat> tells him that it just, I don't know if he tells him specifically his wife and Bhutamana is going to come with his qualified daughter and you should accept her. And that's what happens. So we, we saw, we see the description of the sage sitting there by the Bandusarovar, a river, or wherever it is, it's a body of water, which is in, where is that? Orissa. I think Tokyo probably said it's in Orissa. There's another place by the same name in Gujarat. And uh, it's kind of interesting because the one in Orissa, there's different uh, 
explanations of how this body of water came to be, the sacred body of water. And there's Shiva temples around that in that area. And they say it has to do with Lord Shiva. Right? And, you know, do you remember how this Bandhu Sarovara came, came to be? I wish I could remember the story. Anyway, Cardinal Muni's meditating there. Lord Vishnu comes down. So he sits there and he's, he's waiting. That's why the Mugamana comes on his chariot, jewel chariot, with his daughters. It was uh, an extraordinary young person. And uh, so beautiful, we were laughing about it recently that some demigods were watching this and some king up there falls off of his airplane because of her beauty. She's playing with a ball on you know, on, on, on Swain Budamana's conveyance, which is an airplane also. She's on the roof playing with the ball, and some other king sees her, falls off his airplane. <laughs> yeah, Gandharva King, right. I forget his name is. So, then, you know. Another question. Uh, he's the father of God. So is um, the Maharaj. Are they like related, or they're just both devotees, like Jiva Tapa? Who, who Maharaj? Uh, Nanda. Nanda Maharaj, the father of uh, Krishna. No, no, this is way, way, way before these these even, pastimes. Even so, like uh, Kapila is an incarnation of Krishna. Uh, so I was wondering if the fathers were, if they had like a relation somewhere because they're like Jiva, they're like devotees. If, if I see what Yeah, born taken in a different. They were there in three. There in three different places. It said that. Not in your, or was it David Key and Vasudev from the previous city? I think it's David King Vasudev. Yeah, so Vasudev. Yeah. And then right. I can't remember the different ones, but I think that's what he does. The previous yeah. incarnations yeah. of them or something. Yeah, there was previous incarnations of God who could birth from these. At least there's stated in the Bhagavatam. There's three. You, you brought up the name of one of those, uh, Krishna Garva or something, incarnation, one time, I remember. And there, you remember Krishna Garva's parents, the names? Actually, they're the same people, but in a different, you know, life to life, he said. But Nandamara, I've not heard who he actually is, you know, so much. Everybody has a backstory. Everybody has a backstory. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> kind of, I think I kind of meant Vasudev, uh, but um, it said that like he and David he performed severe austerities in order to achieve Krishna. Yeah, and no doubt. But it seems like a different kind of intensive procedure than Kapila driving uh, Muni meditating for thousands of years. A different. Yeah, it was. They they had a. I think that's kind of described how, what is the name of that? There's some austerity that, uh, anyway, we'll get to it in the, in the Bhagavatam. There's a section that I don't think we've gotten to yet where it tells about, there's some 21-day sacrifice of fasting, severe austerity, and so many things that have to be done on each time of the day. It's a really difficult, Austerity doesn't last for 10 days. It's more like a 30-day thing. And, if, and the woman does that, it's a really, you know, it, 
it makes it possible for something like this to birth of a you know, supreme person like this. So we'll get to that. All these, a lot of these things come and we get to read about it. This is their favorite part of the Bible. 